It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everybody. We got a good one for you here tonight as we look to preview UFC Fight Night Cater versus Ige, which will take place on Wednesday, July 15th at uh, UFC Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, UAE. And I, I got to be honest with you guys because you know you know me, I'm a straight shooter. Uh, this is not a very good card. I'm just going to say it at the, at the start of the show here. This is not a very good uh, card. Not a lot of talent on this card. A lot of names you've never heard of. But like I always say, you got to give these cards a chance. You know what I mean? Um, just because they're, they're names you've never heard of. I mean, they might still put on a good performance. They might not, because maybe there's a reason you've never heard of these people. But in fairness, uh, I just want to say this at the start of the show, so when I go on to appear to shit on this card, just realize, fair play if this card turns out to be a good one, but uh, when it, when you compare it, certainly to 251, obviously that's a little unfair to compare a fight night to a pay-per-view, but even some of the fight nights they've been putting on recently, um, very, very solid. This one... Not so much, so we're probably going to blow through this. We do have some housekeeping uh, to go through uh, as it pertains to the UFC because the North Star Sports, excuse me, been drinking a little bit of the, little bit of the fizzy. Um, that's the beauty of uh, having podcasts. You can uh, drink and not have to worry about the FCC suing you. Um, but we do have some housekeeping when it comes to rankings because it's been two weeks without rankings because there was that two-week uh, gap uh, with with no UFC events um, from ranking to ranking. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to that um, just because I kind of missed it on yesterday's show just because um, they weren't they weren't out. I didn't do the rankings until this morning and and the show, uh, although most people probably listen to it in the morning, was taped on uh, Sunday night. Um, so we'll just get We'll go from the from heavyweight all the way down to women's uh, straw weight here and just talk about some of the notable changes. Um, because honestly, you know, with most pay-per-views, there's a lot of changes to the rankings. But this one, I mean, in particular, there was a good amount of, of shifting. So in the light heavyweight division, uh, Yuri Prohaska, he knocked out Volkan Uzdemir, who was the number seven ranked light heavyweight. So in North Star's mind... Yuri is the number seven light heavyweight right now. Of course, you can find this at NorthStarSports.media. Um, we dropped Volkan Uzdemir from seven to eight. Now, losing to a UFC newcomer doesn't look good, but I happen to think highly of Yuri. And if you look at the guys below, so if you, if you look at guys 9, 10, and 11, it's Rakic, who uh, Uzdemir has a victory over, so I can't drop a recent victory, you know, not a victory, you know, fucking 12 years ago, but he has a recent victory over Rakic, so it wouldn't really make sense for me to punish Volkan in the rankings, um, so I think moving him down one is just appropriate. Uh, we also removed Alexander Gustafson, who was the previously the number eight, eight light heavyweight. We removed him from the ranking, so he's not ranked. Now, luckily for him, 
I believe the final the final f- fight island card Gustafson makes his heavyweight debut so he's not going to be out of the rankings for for very long but you know there there's some random random shuffles in these rankings because I went back and I really did a deep dive on my rankings and I Listen, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm wrong with my rankings. I'm, I've probably made several mistakes in this in these rankings, you know, but I'll try to fix them when, when they come up. You know, I really try to put a lot of thought into these rankings. And the more I thought about it with Gustafson, I think his last win at light heavyweight came in May of 2017. And it, obviously his two losses after that were uh, to John Jones and Smith, so highly ranked guys. But... You know, he he retired. I I did not take his retirement seriously, which I guess is why we kept him in the rankings despite him claiming he was retired. Uh, But again, no harm, no foul, because he'll he'll come back in the heavyweight rankings. Surely, if he gets if he gets a victory, um, he'll he'll get in those rankings. But uh, we have removed Gustafson from the light heavyweight rankings. Uh, Middleweight stays the same. Welterweight. So obviously, Kamaru stays as champ. Uh, We just flip flopped Leon Edwards and Jorge Masvidal. So the top five outside of the champ, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington. We moved Leon Edwards from f- four to three, Mosfidoff from four to three. Or no, from three to four, Jesus. Uh, so we, we flip-flopped those guys, and then Woodley is our number five. Um, rankings are confusing, which, again, is why I will gladly admit I probably have several mistakes um, in these rankings. Uh, featherweight division... We flip-flopped Zabit, Magomed, Sharapov, and Max Holloway. I know a lot of people thought Holloway won that fight, but we, to a certain degree, respect who won the fight. And if they say Volkanovski won the fight, and I happen to think Volkanovski won the fight anyway. I thought he won rounds three through five, three being the swing round in my mind. Um, but Holloway's lost three of his last four. Now, I, under- I understand strength of schedule here, you know what I mean? But he's no longer the number one contender. Um, so we, we did move him down, uh, bantamweight division. There was a lot of shifting because we got a champ. So that pretty much pushed most people up. So Piotr Jan was number three in the North star rankings. He obviously moves up to champ. Um, Sterling stays at one. Marais stays at two. Garbrandt, uh, was at number four. He moves up to take the spot that Jan occupied at number three. Uh, luckily for Sandhagen, you know, he had the loss to Sterling. He was number five. He moves up to number four. So he he just moves up the rankings over the last... When you, when you look at the sum total of the rankings over the last two months, he just kind of moves up even though he lost just because of some shifting. Um, although, funnily enough... Okay, so uh, actually I missed one. Pedro Munoz was number eight. We moved him to number five. Um, so... And and that one's tough because that that has to do with multiple things. So obviously it looks like a random shuffle of three. It's not a random shuffle of three. It's a random shuffle random shuffle of one, and then a couple of losers. So we only random shuffled Pedro Munoz pretty much from eight to seven, and then because of two losers he goes up to five. So banner day banner day for Pedro Munoz because you know he just kind of moves up by proxy of uh, some people losing. So funnily enough, Jose Aldo, we had at number six. He stays at number six because uh, of of people moving up to occupy spots. Uh, he, he really doesn't move, so he's still number six. Asuncao still number seven. 
Rivera goes from 9 to 8, Cruz from 11 to 9, Stamen from 12 to 10, Rob Font, we did more research on Rob Font, we actually moved him from 10 to 11, Song Yadong moves from 13 to 12, John Dodson moves up from 14 to 13, uh, Marlon Vera stays at 15, and we put Sean O'Malley uh, in at number 14 from from being not ranked uh, uh, in uh, whatever, the two weeks ago, July 30, 30th or whatever the hell the last rankings came out. Um, so I'm sure that sounds like a whole bunch of fucking garbles, but again, you can check out our rankings uh, at northstarsports.media. Um, I really tried to think about it. I didn't try to get too cute with it. Uh, but I did realize there was a couple of people who maybe North Star Sports ranked a little too highly in the bantamweight division, and then there was already shifting anyway because, you know, we're, we're, the bantamweight division really has been under a microscope these last couple of weeks. So I think we got the order as correct as I would like it at this point, but obviously it's a lot of movement. Um, moving on here to the women's divisions. No changes in the women's bantamweight Uh a bunch of changes at the bottom end of the women's flyweight division uh, because Amanda Hebus made her flyweight debut. So she was the number 11 strawweight. We're actually really high on Amanda Hebus. She was number 11 in the strawweight division. She wins over Paige Van Zant. Flyweight's a not a very deep division, so she moves up to number 10 at flyweight. Now, the tricky part for us is she might move back down to strawweight, uh, so she'll... But again, that's in the future. Maybe she never goes back down to strawweight. So, you know, we, we weren't going to keep her in the strawweight division if she fought at flyweight. You know what I mean? It, the, these rankings are very contextual because, so, Conor, we don't have Conor McGregor in our welterweight rankings because, in my mind, you only can be ranked in one division at a time. Unless you're a champ champ, then obviously you're the champ in both. But I don't, I don't believe in ranking in two different divisions. I think you're either in one or the other, and it's whatever you last fought in. But the the, the the way it gets contextual is McGregor took on Cerrone at 170, but Dana said they were counting it as a 155 fight. So that's where it gets tricky and where traditional rankings kind of fall apart. So we just kind of use our noggin a little bit when we go to ranking these. And our noggin says, listen, he was... Starting out at a base level, she fought in the flyweight division, so she should be ranked in the flyweight division, but also she might never go back down. So she's at number 10, and then everybody below her moves down one spot. So Andrea Lee at 11, Alexis Davis at 12, Jillian Robertson at 13, Molly McCann and Courtney Casey rounding out the top 15. Montana De La Rosa goes from 15 to unranked. Um, taking a look here, a couple of changes here in the women's strawweight division. So Rose Namajunas beat Jessica Andrade. We had them one and two, so we flip-flopped them. So it used to be Jessica and then Rose. Now that Rose got the victory, it's Rose and Jessica. Um, obviously, Amanda Hebus comes out of the rankings at number 12, number 11. So uh, we moved everybody up below where Amanda Hebus left. So that means Alexa Grasso, Tisha Torres, Angela Hill, and Mackenzie Dern all move up one spot. That means the number 15 spot was open. And I honestly had a tough time filling the number 15 spot because there's not really someone deserving of being ranked at number 15. When I looked at the list, it was it was real bad. Like it was like 
Well, I could put Karolina Kovalkiewicz in here, but she hasn't won in like five fights. Um, so we, we decided to put Random Marcos at number 15. I know she's been losing more than she's been winning, but the women's divisions are not very deep when it comes to filling a top 15. And she does have some wins over some ranked opponents. Like I, She for sure has a win over Angela Hill, and she's ranked number 13. So, you know, she does have a ranked win somewhere in her UFC resume. So, you know, we kind of have Rando, Rando Marcos there. But that's, let me tell you, that's a very easy spot to fill if somebody uh, comes up in that strawweight division. Uh, you know what I mean? Because she is not solidified that number 15 spot that, that very easily can move um, if some things change around. Um, so with that, we'll go to previewing. Now that we got all of that out of the way, we'll go to previewing uh, UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Ige. Let me pull up the old sheet here. And I got to be honest with you guys. I did not do a lot of research on, research on this fight card because this fight card is complete ass. And a lot of these fights, I'm just not going to look it up. So I'm going to give my predictions like I always give my predictions. But again, my official, official predictions, I always post on my Twitter right before um, the UFC events start on that Saturday, probably around like 5 or 6 p.m., those, because I always say you have the right to change your mind up until the fight happens. So I'm going to give my predictions here. They are not binding for the MMA picks part of the North Star Sports website. The ones that are binding are the ones on my Twitter. Because I'm just kind of spitballing it on here, uh, especially on a card like this. You know what I mean? Like 250. Jesus Christ, as I punch the shit out of my microphone. Um, but like UFC 251. I don't really think I changed any of my picks because I felt really solid because I knew most of the fighters. I felt really solid about my picks. With with this, I, dude, I have no fucking clue on, on like, more than half of these. So we, we will just absolutely blow through the prelims because even the main card, I... I mean, I guess I know most of the fighters on the main card, but even the main card's a little tricky. We have... Uh, Jorge Gonzalez, who's 16-4, and four, taking on Kenneth Berg on the prelim opener. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about these fighters. Uh, looks like Jorge Gonzalez has won seven of his last eight, obviously at the lower level, so that's interesting. And you got a guy, uh, Kenneth Berg, who's uh, 31, seems to be a prospect, kind of been in the sport for a, a hot minute, uh, made his UFC debut uh, in 2013. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be pretty reliant on the odds for these for this fight and for all the fights on this card just because I I don't know. So, it Berg is the minus 190 favorite. So, we'll go with Berg for no for no reason. I have no clue, but we'll go with Berg again, moving on. Uh moving on to the biggest favorite on the card. It's a minus 625 favorite Jack Shore in the bantamweight division. He's 12 and 0 taking on Aaron Phillips. Again, don't know anything about either of these fighters except for Jack Shore. I do know that this is a real legitimate prospect. Uh, he's 25 years old. This was a guy who I believe, I don't think he was a double champ in Cage Warriors, but he certainly was a champ in Cage Warriors. So this is a, a real bona fide European prospect. This is not some guy they just got to fill the cards. This is a legitimate, like, hey, you, you know, North Star rankings in the bantamweight division, be on alert for this guy, Jack Shore. Um, so we'll go with Jack Shore just cause it's the hype train. Again, I, I feel like I've seen some of his highlights somewhere, but again, nothing, 
nothing too specific that jogs my my memory. Uh, moving on here in the women's flyweight division, we have seven and three Liliana Joa. Man, I always mess this one up. Joa Joa Joa. I'm sure I just butchered that. Liliana, we'll call her. Um, that that's one that just does not compute in my brain how to pronounce that. Versus another hard one to pronounce, Diana. I'm gonna go with Belbita, but there's a lot of weird umlauts and and stuff on that, so I'm I'm sure I didn't pronounce that in. I believe that's the Romanian flag. I I don't speak Romanian, so um, yeah, I I I, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that one. Um, she made her UFC debut. This being uh, Belbita versus Molly McCann, who we'll talk about a little bit later on this card. Um. Don't really remember that one. Pretty big fan of, of Molly McCann. I remember Liliana Joao Joao, uh, nickname Miguel. I'm sure I butchered that as well. Um, but I remember her because she made her UFC debut versus Sarah, Mori- Sarah Morris um, on that previous Abu Dhabi card. So funnily enough, she fought on the 252 Abu Dhabi card. And, uh, oh, what is it? 10 months later is, is returning in the UFC for, for that. Um, don't really have any strong feelings either way. Um, I will go with Diana Belbita on this one. She's a minus 160 favorite. But I'll go with her just because both these fighters have one fight in the UFC. Both of them have one loss in the UFC. But I don't remember anything about Liliana during her fight with Sarah Morris. All I know is Sarah Morris is not a really good UFC fighter, and Molly McCann's actually pretty good, so I'm just going off of strength of loss in their UFC fights, which is probably not the smart thing to do, but it's really the only thing I have to go with here. So we'll go with Diana Belbita um, by decision, because what the fuck do I know? Um, Interesting one here, we have uh, in the featherweight division, Jared Gordon. Jared Flash Gordon, 15-4, taking on Chris Fish Gold, who's 18, 3 and 1. Gordon is the minus 150 favorite. Um, I did see Jared Gordon when he fought on that infamous UFC Minneapolis card. Uh, he took on uh, Mankato Zone. Mankato Zone, Dan Moret. Uh, this is a guy who has not had any favors in the UFC. He really hasn't. He's been knocked out by Carlos Diego Fajeda, who, you know, we've, we've seen what this guy's done over the last year. You know, he's surging up those... Uh, lightweight rankings Uh, a loss to Joaquin Silva who I don't know that guy Uh, and then then a loss to uh, Charles Oliveira at the end of 2019 Um, so a pretty tough schedule pretty tough sledding for Jared Gordon Chris Fishgold I've heard of this guy I think he's been in the UFC for a hot minute if I'm not mistaken Uh, he'll be making his fourth fight here and again for this guy I mean both these guys really uh, uh, tough UFC schedules here because he runs into Calvin Cater Gets knocked out in the first round. Um, so, again, another fighter who's obviously headlining this card. Um, he beats Daniel Tambor, but then he loses by an Anaconda Choke to Makwan Amir Khani, who fought on the last card, who also won by Anaconda Choke uh, at UFC 251 over Danny Henry. So, it's tough to say here, and it makes it even tougher for Jared Gordon because this is a guy who... Every member of his corner, I think you're allowed to have like th- three, maybe four in your corner. Everybody in his corner tested positive for COVID-19. 
So I forget the other guy who's... So for sure Paul Felder's cornering him, and he's the one doing commentary. So that's going to be interesting. I'm sure they'll mic him up in the corner. Uh, I don't think there's any relation there, I believe, other than they have the same manager. So pretty much just a random guy who happens to be a top-flight UFC fighter, so he's certainly credentialed, but just some random guy to you is going to corner you, but that's that's a fucking G move. That's a baller move by Paul Felder, uh, obviously one of the good guys of the sport, uh, obviously a guy who beat Dan Hooker in my mind. Uh, I love me some Paul Felder. Um, just, you know, he's ran into some some tough moments getting absolutely, uh, I don't, not robbed because it was a close fight. I, I really detest the word robbery, but I really thought he won that fight versus Dan Hooker. And then the other loss he has recently was to Mike Perry, but he broke his arm in the first round. So he went to a split decision, I believe, with Mike Perry with a broken arm. Uh, so a, a, a real baller, a real baller of, of uh, the MM, M, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the MMA world. Uh, we'll go with Jared Gordon here. Uh, I was impressed with his win. Oh, man, who did he face at UFC Minneapolis? Um, oh, yeah, Dan Moret. I already said that. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with Jared Gordon here. Again, I don't really have strong feelings either way. And obviously the odds reflect that, you know, minus 150 favorite for Jared Gordon. But uh, we will go with the flash. Uh, another fight here on the prelims in the light heavyweight division, Modestas Bukaukas. Bukowskis, 10 and 2, taking on Andreas Mikolaitis, who's 12 and 3. Uh, again, n- never heard of these guys. Never heard of these guys. Modestus is a 26-year-old Lithuanian. So, you know, tough people, tough people. Uh, yeah, tough, tough people over there in Lithuania. Uh, on a six-fight winning streak coming out of Cage Warriors. So, I mean, that's a pretty well-respected um feeder organization, I suppose we'll call it, and uh, Andreas Michaelitis, three-fight winning streak coming out of some promotion I have never fucking heard of, so we'll go with Bukowskis, he is the minus 260 favorite, we'll go with him just because he was in Cage Warriors, uh, and Andreas Michaelitis was not. Again, that's the that, that, that's the type of commentary you're going to get from me on, on some of these fights that the UFC throws together, where I have a funny feeling they just threw this fight together because of contractual obligations, not because they had so many fighters that needed to fight, because most of these fighters are debuting fighters, so, or at least a, a very solid, disproportionate um, section of this card are, are, are debuting fighters, so it kind of just feels like they're, they're, putting, they're putting one on us. Um, one that I have more opinions about, uh, also on the prelims here in the featherweight division, Ricardo Ramos, 14-2, taking on Lerone Murphy, who's 8-0-1. Ramos is a minus-160 favorite. Again, Ramos, another veteran. Another veteran of the UFC Minneapolis card where he beat Journey Newsome. Great BJJ. This guy's 5-1 in the UFC, so really, really sneakily has a lot of wins in the UFC. He's only 24 years old. Um, I've been impressed with him. He had that uh, quick win over Eduardo Garagori. Uh, back in November of 2019. Uh, only only one setback in the UFC. That was to Saeed Nurmagomedov. Um, but a, a win over uh, Eamon Zahabi, Farah Zahabi's brother, I believe. So uh, a win over a well-coached guy. And then a win over uh, Kyung Ho Kang, 
who was a champion, I want to say also in the featherweight division, but it could have been a different division, but I know he was a champion over in uh, Road FC, the Korean uh, MMA promotion where uh, Michel Pajeda uh, came from before he came to the UFC. Um, so I'm pretty high on Ricardo Ramos, obviously very hard to learn on the job, uh, as we talked about last show with Paige Van Zant. Uh, it's, it's very hard to learn on the job, but this guy seemingly is doing it. Uh, Lerone Murphy, that's a tough test, though, because this is a guy who has one fight in the UFC, and it is a draw, and it was a draw at the UFC 242 card. Again, the you know, another fighter who last fought on the Abu Dhabi card who's coming back to Abu Dhabi, um, and he went to a split decision draw with Zubara Tukagev, uh, one of Khabib's boys, and, you know, that's impressive. That's impressive. I didn't know a whole lot about Lerone Murphy, I actually, if I remember correctly, I want to say I thought Lerone Murphy won that fight with Zubara, but that's that's tough. You know, that was a guy who was 18 and four, a guy who's been in the UFC for quite some time and has has some decent victories uh, in in the UFC. You know, over over guys like uh, he took the he took the O from Doug, Douglas Silva Diandraj, um, you know, a win over Felipe Nover, a win over Kevin Aguilar, so. Uh, you know, a guy who's battle-tested in, in the UFC. So th- this is tough, and I can see why the odds reflect that at, at minus 165. I'm still going to go with Ricardo Ramos on this one, um, but it, it honestly wouldn't shock me if Lerone Murphy uh, won this fight. It's just the the sample size for, for what I've seen from Lerone Murphy, through no fault of his own, because obviously, you know, fighters are at different stages of their careers, so maybe he turns out to be a really, really good fighter, but... You know, I just don't have enough in the old memory bank to, to go with Lerone Murphy. Uh, moving on here, the I believe this is the the main event of the prelims uh, in the middleweight division. It is John White Mike Tyson Phillips versus Kamzat Chimeyev. Now, John Phillips is twenty two and nine. Kamzat Chimeyev is six and zero. Oh. Uh, Chimeyev is the minus 330 favorite. He started MMA in 2018. He's obviously 6-0. That's all I know about him. I know a little more about John Phillips. Uh, this was the guy who absolutely murdered Alan Amadovsky in the octagon the last time he fought. They call him the white Mike Tyson for a fucking reason. This guy has got a steam piston for, for hands. Very powerful. Uh, not very successful in the UFC, though. This is a guy who was on a three-fight losing streak before he absolutely sent Alan Amadovsky to hell. Um, and, and, uh, it's tough on this one, I, I guess. I mean, a minus-330 favorite is a pretty heavy favorite, uh, at least in, in modern-day mixed martial arts. So I'm going to go with Kamzat Chimeyev just because the odds are heavily in his favor, so I'm assuming Las Vegas knows something I don't. But I will tell you, I might change my pick to John Phillips later in the week. Well, I guess there's only fuck, less than two days before the fight happens. So, I mean, uh, in the next day or so. But um, it would not shock me if John Phillips absolutely murked Kamzat Chimeyev. I know nothing about this guy. Maybe this guy's the next future champion at 185. have no idea. All I know is John Phillips could kill any human on the planet with his hands. And uh, that's intriguing. That's that's intriguing. Uh, he has some pretty bad losses on his UFC record, like a loss to Charles Bird, 
Uh, that's pretty bad. That's like a 10 and 8 fighter. <laughs> a loss to Jack Marshman. Uh, that's not a solid, you know, that's not, that's not very good. Uh, a loss to Kevin Holland is not super bad as far as losses go, but uh, th- this will be an interesting matchup. I, I, I gotta wonder, I do more research on why Kamzat Shemayev is that heavy of a favorite, but I just don't give a shit about this card. Uh, moving on here to the main card in the welterweight, welterweight division, we have Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Munir Lazez. Lazez is 9-1, Al-Hassan is 10-1. Uh, all Abdul Razak Al Hassan is the minus three ten favorite. Um, this is a guy. Well, I guess I'll just start at the onset here because I don't know anything about Munir Lazez other than he's on a two fight winning streak and he's making his UFC debut. Uh, but I look at Abdul Razak Al Hassan ARA. Why don't you just go with uh, simple ARA? Uh, the, you know this is a guy who's on a three fight winning streak. Uh, he stopped. He knocked out Nico Price in the first round, which says something to me because Nico Price is a absolute wild man. Uh, that that's very impressive. Um, and his only loss in the UFC is a split decision loss to Omari Akhmedov, which I believe was at 185. So he's been perfect since he's moved down to welterweight. Because I don't, I don't believe Omari Akhmedov has ever fought at welterweight. I believe he's only been at 185. But either way, I mean, you know, that's a guy who's been perpetually in the ranking, so um, solid loss there, I guess, if we want to, you know, go that angle. But again, not working with a whole lot here. Moving on here, also on the main card, the number 14 strawweight, according to North Star Sports, the 10-2 Molly McCann takes on Talia Santos, who's 15-1, uh, this is a minus 110 pick'em. I might make this one my lock of the week. I really might. I feel very strongly that Molly McCann is going to win this. I've been impressed by the toughness and the grittiness and all the cliches you could possibly possibly could say about Molly McCann. Um, currently on a three-fight winning streak. Just coming into her prime at 30. Her, I believe her only loss in the UFC, her only loss since her second fight, so, what is that? She's been 9-1 and one in her last 10. Only loss was to Jillian Robertson. That's tough. Jillian Robertson tends to get the best of most people she fights. Uh, certainly got the best of uh, Courtney Casey, uh, I believe, last month. Yeah, that must have been UFC 250. Um, Talia Santos, on the other hand, 15-0 uh, and 0 before coming into the UFC, so obviously she lost her UFC debut. Uh, only 27 and she lost that uh, split decision to Mera Romero Barella. Um, I don't know. It's, it's easy to get mesmerized by a 15-1 and record, certainly in, in the women's division. Uh, that's But that just tells me that you've been at the amateur level for a very long time. Um, but again, I don't really know a whole lot about Talia Santos. I know more about Molly McCann. It's uh, minus 110, so I guess that tells you how high people are on Santos, but... I wouldn't say Mara Romero Barella is, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's some great fighter in, in the strawweight division, you know, that uh, that if a debuting fighter lost to, I'd go, well, okay, that was a tough matchup. Eh, not really, not really. So uh, we'll go Molly McCann on this one. Uh, moving on here to the featured bout. I have no idea why, th- why this is not the co-main event of the evening. It's the number eight 
well, bantamweight Jimmy Rivera taking on the number 10 bantamweight Cody Stamen. However, this fight is taking place uh, at featherweight, so it's going to be a division up, which I could understand. I guess you don't really want to cut weight. Obviously, there's some issues that the coronavirus in general presents to weight cutting. There's several issues that weight cutting through 57 fucking lockdowns that they have to go through before they can fight in UAE. Um, but Cody Seaman, this is a guy who fought at 250, uh, had a, a very impressive, very gritty performance uh, in, in the wake of his younger brother's death. Uh, so this is a guy who certainly is looking to have momentum coming into this fight. And again, I always forget, 19-2-1, like, this is a guy with a very gaudy record. I mean, that you know, that's, that's a lot of wins. A lot of wins for Jimmy Rivera on the flip side, 22-4. and four. So, you know, two fighters that aren't, aren't typically accustomed to, to losing. You know, Brian Kelleher has knocked fools dead, you know, in some of his last fights. So, you know, that's a solid win. Uh, he had that draw where he was getting beat pretty handedly by Yadong Song, uh, but I believe Song had uh, a, a point deduction, which is why uh, it went to a draw. But really, this this is a guy who, outside of that weird draw, you know, he had the highlight reel. I, bl- I believe it was the... Well, I think they technically called it a modified knee bar, but I believe it's the Suluev stretch that Aljamain Sterling hit on Cody Stamen. So he's got a highlight loss in 2018 but this is a guy who's very very active in the in the UFC hasn't really been in the UFC for that long but really kind of packing in the fights here uh and uh you know a couple of split decision wins going his way but um I don't know man Aljamain Sterling in my opinion should have fought Piotr Jan for the title to begin with I think now the obvious fight is Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan so I mean, you know, no no shame in losing to a guy who potentially could be a, a champion in your division in, you know, just a few months' time, you know, whenever they can turn around Piotr Jan. Um, so I, I do think pretty highly of Cody Stamen. Um, I have no idea how he makes 135. Luckily for him, this fight takes place at 145, which, to be honest, I think this should be a permanent move for Cody Stamen. I kind of felt that way in the Kelleher fight uh, just because he looked he looked so good. He looked so good. And he's he's not a he's not a midget. I mean, he's five six, so you know what I mean. He's he's kind of a thick guy, you know what I mean. And and he's thirty, so he's not getting any younger. Uh, although thirty's pretty young in the fight game. But I, I would really like to see him move to one forty five. He he wouldn't really be too short for one forty five. Uh, so I hope this is permanent. Now on the flip side here with Jimmy Rivera, you know this is a guy who's got a really big chip on his shoulder. Uh, I loved watching the. Oh, I forget what they call it. The it's not the embedded, but it's the UFC preview show. Uh, I believe it was back for his fight with Marlon Moraes. Jimmy Rivera just seems like a very interesting guy. Seems like a very good guy as well. Uh, you know, coaches, and I'm sure this is, this is not fucking unique. You know, but coaches, you know, kids jujitsu or or whatever. You know, just seems like a really a really good guy, a really solid role model uh, for the sport. But he's kind of fallen on hard times here. You know, this is a guy who was at one point twenty-one and one. He's lost three of his last five. But again, it's it's tough to say because, you know, when we're talking about who's going to win this fight here between Rivera and Stamen, the th- three losses Rivera's had in the UFC. Uh, let's let's see here. Marlon Morais, a guy who fought for the title, arguably 
or actually no, he beat he beat uh, Aldo. Arguably, Aldo won that fight. You know, but but a guy who honestly was pretty close to winning that bantamweight title over Cejudo. He kind of was schooling Cejudo in the first round, pretty much all the way to the midpoint of the second round, and then Cejudo turned it around. But you know, a very good, very underrated fighter, a guy who's been the champion uh, in the World Series of Fighting. You know, criminally underrated Marlon Moraes. It's really, uh, it's really good to see him getting more recognition these days. You know, comes back, wins over John Dotson, but then a, a unanimous decision loss to Aljamain Sterling, who's the number one contender according to North Star Sports, and who will be, in my mind, there, there's no other choice for for next in line at bantamweight. And then after that, they match him up with Piotr Jan, and he so he loses to Piotr Jan, who's the current champion. So it's kind of funny because I don't give a shit about the UFC rankings, but in the North star sports rankings, he lost to currently right now, the guy who is the champion, the guy who's the number one contender and the guy who's the number two contender. So he lost to the top three guys in the division. You know, they, they, they haven't been given this guy any breaks whatsoever. Uh, this is a much more favorable matchup against Stamen. Still a tough one. I'm not saying they're, it's a, I'm not saying it's a bounce back fight for Jimmy Rivera, you know, not a give me because Cody Stamen's very tough. But I will go with Jimmy Rivera to win this one. Uh, it is tough because obviously Stamen has the has the uh, momentum, but I do think the strength of schedule. It's honestly really hard to find a harder strength of schedule over the last, uh, I'd say, five or six fights in the bantamweight division uh, than Jimmy Rivera. It, it's really hard. And I know he's lost, but I don't know, man. It's kind of the same thing. It's a little different because Stamen has been a guy who's been in the UFC for a hot minute. But it's kind of a, a, a classical trap fight when it comes to North Star Sports picking this fight. Because it, it, it's it's very much like 251 last week where you look at Marcin Tabora, a guy who's losing way more fights than he's winning, but they're all in the UFC against tough competition versus Maxim Grishin, a guy who won something like 20 of his last 23 fights, but they were against absolute cans and bums in the PFL and M1. So it worked out good for North Star Sports because we picked Chibura and he ended up winning. So uh, under that same logic, it's a little different, not exactly apples to apples here, um, but this is still apples to oranges. They're still both fruits. And uh, we're going to go with Jimmy Rivera on this one. Uh, moving on here to the co-main event of the evening. I have no fucking clue why this is the co-main event. Tim Elliott, 15-11-1 versus Ryan Benoit, who's 10-6. and Let me just start by saying Ryan Benoit should not be in the UFC. If the flyweight division wasn't as bad as it it is, this is not a guy who belongs in the UFC. This is a guy, 10 and 6. It's not like, it's not, and again, it's not like he's Randy Couture at 1911, 19 and 11. Like, context is very important. You know, I, I, I'm i not some guy who makes a big deal about records. You could have a, a, a very poor looking record, but if you fight a lot of really good fighters, that's what's going to happen. But this guy, he should be cut. He should not be getting a, a co-main event here. He lost his last fight versus a guy I've never fucking heard of, a UFC newcomer. Uh, he has four wins in the 
no, not, not even four wins in the UFC. It's three wins in the UFC. Sergio Pettis. Okay, I mean, I've heard of that guy. Fair enough. That's probably a solid win. And then a win over Freddie Serrano, who? And Ashkan Mokcharian. Losses to Brandon Moreno, Ben Gwen, Josh Sampo. This guy, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six. He's lost six of his last ten. And, and and not even some of these weren't even in the UFC. So this is not even a guy who's a 500 fighter in the UFC. So this makes no sense. I will do no research other than just clicking on his topology page because I don't give a shit. This is why we don't do rankings for flyweight because the flyweight division is an absolute joke. Why? Why can't we put Jimmy Rivera and Cody Stamen as the co-main event? I would literally pick any other fight on this card and make it the co-main event other than this one. Literally, I would put Jorge Gonzalez and Kenneth Berg as the co-main event over this one. It makes no sense. Flyweight division's an absolute joke in the UFC. I don't think they should get rid of it. I think they should should invest more. Uh, but, Jesus, this is not how you do it. Tim Elliott, I mean, he's the minus 125 favorite. I'll go with Tim Elliott just because Ryan Benoit. I'm not going to go with a guy who's not even 500 in the UFC. Uh, but again, you look at Tim Elliott, uh, he's on a three-fight losing streak. He's lost five of his last seven, but it, at least this guy's interesting. At least, you know, he fought, um, it wasn't 250. It might've been the fight night before 250. He, uh, he was, he was, uh, kind of schooling Brandon Royville and then he gassed out. Not very good when a flyweight gasses out. I will say that much. Not not very good when a flyweight gasses out. A heavyweight? I understand. I understand. Fair enough. A light heavyweight in a slugfest? Ah, oh, makes sense. But if you're a middleweight all the way down, if you don't have enough cardio to fucking get to the third round, like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? So, again, I'll go Tim Elliott, but again, I'm not really going to dive deep in this one. Mostly because I can't, but mostly because I don't really care. This is an embarrassment of a co-main event, uh, and that's that's putting it incredibly nicely. Uh, moving on to the, by far, the most interesting fight of the night. <clears throat> uh, we have the number seven featherweight Calvin Cater taking on the number 10 featherweight Dan Ige. Cater's 21-4, and four, Ige 14-2. Cater is the prohibitive favorite here at, at uh, minus 310. Uh, I will say... That's that's interesting. That's I mean I'm as high on Calvin Cater as the next guy I suppose, but uh, that's that's a little disrespectful to Dan Ige. Um, <clears throat> but again, so most fight nights, number seven versus number ten in a given division, especially at a lighter division, typically don't headline even fight nights. But the reason why, and these guys are not. These guys are not lowly ranked, but when it comes to main event headliners, they're lowly ranked. But the reason why people are totally cool with this is because this is going to be a great fight. We know this will be a great fight. That's why you can have number seven and number ten. I mean, typically fight nights, you know, are like number two versus number five or number one versus number three. Seven versus ten, ah, pretty low. But again, I'm very excited for this one. Two great boxers. You know, everybody's marveling about Calvin Cater's boxing skills. I think Dan Ige's, to be honest, might be just as good. Uh, I think Dan Ige 
I mean, this guy, I, I'm a huge fan of Dan Ige. I, I gotta say that, and I guess I'll spoil it here. And this might be my lock of the week. Of course, you'll have to follow North Star Sports on Twitter to find out our lock of the week because I don't have it made up uh, right now. Probably post it tomorrow, I suppose, um, if Twitter doesn't suspend me for, you know, Twitter being fucking stupid. Uh, but Dan Ige, I'm a huge fan of this guy. 28 years old, um, you know, obviously had that win over Edson Barbosa. I don't think it was a split decision. I think he won that 29-28. Had a split decision win before that over Mirsad Bektich. I don't think that was a split decision either. I think that was shitty Texas referees at, at that UFC 247 card. So it's easy to look at Dan Ige and discredit him in this fight versus Cater because you go, ah, two split decisions. Uh, but, but, you know, whatever, man. I, I don't think they were split decisions. I think this is a very good fighter. I'm not trying to flex here just because I like Dan Ige, and I'm not trying to overestimate his his strength of opponents. You know what I mean? But Danny Henry, he has a win over Danny Henry. I mean, Danny Henry's a tough guy. I'm not trying to make it seem like Danny Henry is a fucking longtime, you know, featherweight champion here, but that, that's a tough guy. You know what I mean? Kevin Aguilar, he was 17-1 and one at that point. I believe he was a champion in the – no, not the World Series of Fighting, um, LFA – or maybe they called it RFA at that point. I'm always confused. But same organization, I'm pretty sure. He was a champ in, in the LFA or whatever. Uh, you know, Bektich is tough. Barbosa. Barbosa's dangerous as hell. I know that was his featherweight debut. Um, but I, I'm going to pick Dan Ige to win this one. I, I think it's tough because these are two very dangerous fighters. And obviously, Cater's coming off of the knockout over Jeremy Stevens. But... I don't know. Both these both these fighters are super fucking tough. And, and and that's saying something because most fighters are tough. They get punched in the head for a living. These guys are very tough, so I, I will pick this to go to a decision. I know it's a five-round fight. I'm still going to pick it to go to a decision because they're tough as hell. But I really do think it'll probably be a slugfest. I mean, I'm very interested. I don't know a whole ton, to be honest, about Calvin Cater's ground game. I don't know a whole lot about Dan Ige's ground game. But I know that predominantly most of their fights are stand-up so I would anticipate this pretty much being a kickboxing match I know Dan Ige feels like he's a little disrespected uh I know Calvin Cater feels like he's a little disrespected you know with where he's at in the ranking and but where both of them are at at this point in their career and to be honest with you I think Calvin Cater's been in the UFC for a little bit longer than Dan Ige but it's very interesting because these guys are both you know Ige's 28 Cater's 32 but really they're both at the same point in their careers, you know, in in a sense where they're both, will these guys take the next step? So that's, I really appreciate the UFC putting this fight together because it's two guys just about to enter their prime, very seasoned fighters for, for this stage in their career. And the winner of this one, I mean, they pretty much got, not, I don't want to say they got next, but they they got next in the sense of they got they got next when it comes to talking about title contention. Obviously, there's still going to be plenty of names ahead of them. But you know what I mean? The winner of this one really, I mean, I don't want to say they'll burst into the top five. Maybe for Cater because he is number seven. You know what I mean? But the winner of this fight at a bare minimum is is just on the outside of, of the top five. And if you're in the top five at any point in any division at any time in the UFC, a title fight could happen. It could happen. If you're in the top five, 
you're in the running for a title shot. It might not be, there might be people more deserving. There might be people more likely, um, but anything can happen. So once you get to that point, good things tend to happen. More uh, fight night and main events, you know, maybe a co-main event on a pay-per-view. Uh, so th- there are very high stakes for these fighters. Y- you can't say one's a veteran and one's a rookie. You know what I mean? They're, they're both very level at where they are in their career. And honestly, for, for people knocking the strength of schedule on Dan Ige, uh, I know there's a big fan base out there for, for Calvin Cater, but to be honest, his strength of schedule is not really much better than Dan Ige, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Andre Feely, Shane Burgos, Hinato Moicano, Ricardo Lamas, Sabit, Jeremy Stevens. It's very tough. It's better than Dan Ige's strength of schedule, but it's not, you know what I mean? Anyone who's saying, you know, Calvin Cater has the more experience at a high level. I mean, I, I guess that's true, but he's only been in the UFC for a, a year longer than, uh, maybe a year, year and a half longer than Dan Ige. And again, I, I think minus 310 is crazy. If I lived in a state that allowed sports betting on MMA fights, I would I would certainly put $10, nothing crazy because I'm not a fucking maniac, but I'd certainly put something on Dan Ige, let me tell you. You know, I... I straight up in a pick em, think Dan Ige will win this fight. And certainly when you give me minus 310 odds that Cater is going to win this, I mean, that's very enticing as a, a large fan of Dan Ige. Um, again, I just want to very quickly look here at the featherweight rankings. This is probably something for the, for the recap show. But like I said, you're on the verge of being a title contender. You're on the verge of being the top five. And... Obviously, look at the you look at the rankings here for North Star Sports. Uh, you know, yeah, I think Brian Ortega is probably a little too high, but maybe like uh, Yair Rodriguez. Actually, Josh Emmett's number six, but he's probably out for a year with a torn ACL. So, I mean, you look at five: Yair, Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie, Ortega. I mean, the winner of this fight. They really might only be one more win, depending on how things shake out, obviously. But at best, they're really only a win away from a title shot. You win this fight, and, you know, maybe you you, you win convincingly versus Ortega or Chan Sung Jung. I mean, you know, things could happen. Things could happen. And the beauty of this fight, too, is I could see this being a rematch, you know, five years down the road. Both these guys are pretty young in their UFC career. You know, again, Cater's 32, Ige's 28. So, like, this is... These guys will be mainstays in the featherweight division, or at least in the UFC, for for a, a good while. For a good while. Um, so, th- this this has very interesting ramifications for the future. Uh, but that's pretty much all I got to say. I've, uh, I've said my spiel here. Uh, so, again, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at OwenElyMN. Be sure to follow Owen the Mailman. Uh, you know the mailman. He he needs he needs more followers. Uh, follow North Star Sports at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website and the rankings that I've been mentioning throughout the entire show. Be sure to check those out at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.